You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Welcome, fellas. This is fun. Thank um, you. So, the, the first question is kind of like the biographical one. Um, you're probably best telling your own stories, but... I've been asking people, when do you first remember encountering scripture? And for some people, it's very clear. It was like at a university group when they were 21. For others, it was like vague memories of stained red church carpet at a Sunday school somewhere. But do you guys have any distinct... And who wants to start? I want to hear what Brad has to say. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So my name's Brad, and I, I have very clear interesting memories about my first encounters with scripture. Um, I want to share three quick ones that all revolved around the time I was eight years old. Hmm. Uh, One is that I really uh, became hungry for scripture the moment I was baptized, which was probably seven years old. And I remember my dad asking me if there was a particular Bible story he wanted, I wanted him to read. And I asked for the story of Paul and Silas, and it was captivating to me. After he read me that story, I then read the rest of the book of Acts on my own. Then I started back to chapter one and read the whole book of Acts on my own, noting especially how what was going on there was nearly unrecognizable compared to my own church experience. (laughs) Um, But with that hunger then also, I needed some direction in in what to read. It's a big book. Hmm. So I grabbed my dad's New Testament and um, and I started seeing highlighting in his old red pencil. And I thought, I need my own Bible. And I made up this rule for myself. You can't have your own Bible till you've memorized 30 verses. And my dad was like, no, no, we'll just buy you one. And I'm like, no, I'm not worthy of one unless I've memorized 30 verses. So I made it this Brad, performance. where did you get that thing. from? Where, where? No idea. Probably wow. performance orientation. Oldest son stuff. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Religion. Um, but I did. And, uh, you know, the humbling thing is by the time you get to verse 30, you're looking for Jesus wept. And, you know, and, uh, but it's interesting because the very first verse I memorized was Matthew six thirty three: mm. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness or justice. Yeah. Um, you know, do that and all these things that you... And that was your first... About. That was first. my first... Even before John so 3, you 16. were always going to be okay. Hard like for starting there. I know. Fair. Yeah. So I did. I memorized 30 verses. Then they bought me on my own Bible. Uh, and then I took my dad's New Testament and everything he highlighted in his New Testament, I highlighted in mine. And in a sense, that was a really helpful lens then through which to approach the scriptures. Yeah. Because he had highlighted things that were like promises of God, um, the, the beautiful gospel, really. Mm. And so that was my uh, first experience. I will so you almost yeah. had like a, a hermeneutic of being meant of, of your dad's. Like it, it was like you exactly. to read through your dad's eyes. Yeah, That's and my beautiful. dad's eyes was a heart for the poor wow. and the marginalized, but also he was like a good Baptist soul winner. So it was right. about things related to what he saw as the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So that that's a really good entry point, I think, sure. as yeah. an eight-year-old. That's beautiful. It was beautiful. Now you have to beat that, Andrew. Oh. No, that's, <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> we, we've never, I've never interviewed two people at the same time. So clearly, well, watch we'll my forget the gospel and just make oh, uh, go. no. this a, a study in Gerardian 
It's know, not going to be that <laughs> close, but uh, no, I uh, my my first encounter. So I I'm going to do the typical raised in a Christian home thing. So I was raised in a, a fairly conservative evangelical Christian home, and so it's difficult to kind of pinpoint that one you know first time that I encountered scripture, but. Um, something that stands out in my mind is from uh, Sunday school at uh, a Plymouth Brethren Church. So pretty conservative, but this was an open brethren. And uh, after Sunday school, they gave me uh, a Bible. So this was my first Bible. It's my own. And it's, um, I don't know if it's like a popular one, but it, it's, um, it has the blue and, and yellow paperback soft cover NIV and and so it's you know seared in my mind getting this and and there was a a verse that was it was either inscribed in it by the Sunday school teacher or um, it's somehow associated with this I don't know if maybe we learned about it at Sunday school that day and then I got the Bible but um, it is from John's uh, first epistle uh, chapter 4 we love because he first loved us wow and and so that's probably like the first mm. verse that's <laughs> that's really good. That's in my wow. head, um, and so uh, that that's I think my first uh, like real encounter. I'm holding a Bible and it's mine and has my name in it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and beyond that, I I have very uh, clear memories of reading. Uh, my picture Bible, <laughs> so the yeah, picture mm-hmm. Bible mm-hmm. seems like oh, a picture Bible or whatever. But uh, man, that picture Bible, I you know devoured that thing, and I actually I, I credit uh, at so I went to Columbia Bible College, Bible College here in uh, Lower Mainland BC, and and uh, at the beginning of the Old Testament, New Testament survey courses, they give you a test to see like how how well do you actually know the bible before the course hmm. and and i did really well <laughs> and i completely credit it to my my picture bible that i, <laughs> that I just like <laughs> just the visualizations and i really got into it because of that and uh yeah so that's really those are the the two big things i do remember um later on starting when i was i guess about 9 or 10 um we went to a very conservative uh, Baptist church. It was a King James only church, and my parents weren't King James only people. And I, I still remember the the tension, the battles of you know us bringing to Sunday school one my NIV Bible that I, I got, and them telling me that that's not the Bible, and mm-hmm. because it's not King James, and uh, so that that really sticks out in my mind as well. Yeah, wow. Mm. But in terms of both of you having first platforms in, in terms of they were entry points they're pretty <laughs> awesome i mean both of you like, in a that's... sense yeah in retrospect i did there was a couple unhealthy things that happened for me right um but at the time it felt very good yeah it felt very and a lot of it was very healthy yeah and even just the fact that like um a loving community and, and learning to desire through somebody kind's eyes yes is an incredible mm-hmm. gift like um and uh, you were on a slippery slope to iconography early, weren't you? Yeah. Picture Bible, it was all downhill from <laughs> that there. That was the beginning. Yeah, I know, that was it. <laughs> um, 
So in terms of like the scale of um, oppressive and liberating, where would you place your first encounters with scripture along that spectrum? Um, I've become more and more aware that for some people it's intertwined and complex and mm-hmm. a little bit of both. But were, was the Bible something that was uh, life-giving and liberating and um, uh, or was it something that was death-dealing and oppressive? And I, I don't think that... Um, uh, like, I don't remember... Obviously, there's if, if it's good, it's liberating. Um, but I don't remember feeling oppressed and, and having to... I, didn't, I don't remember the sensation of being liberated from feeling oppressed in the first place in that sense, right? right? So, um, yeah, so I, I, I don't think, um, when I think of my first encounter with the scriptures, it wasn't, there was no, uh, um, like it was, it was a positive encounter. Mm. Um, so in terms of like the word liberating or oppressive, I don't know if that would really work exactly with it, other than it was positive. But there's there was mm. nothing. I didn't feel oppressive beforehand, or oppressed beforehand by anything. Um, more probably because I wasn't paying attention, and <laughs> so that's you know, and so uh, yeah. So it was it was more of a positive encounter, and I think it maybe became more negative um, later on. Um, particularly in the King James only church and and seeing uh, battles over the Bible itself and which one is the true one and all that kind of stuff. Mm. It's a little bit confusing for a kid who knows nothing about translation history and all that kind of stuff. Um, but even within that, that church, um, I, I would say that there was really like this kind of ebb and flow. It, it wasn't... Um, you know, at the beginning, it's a positive experience, and then there seems to be a lot of negativity even around the Bible itself, like which translation is a good one and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and then within that church also, the way that God was portrayed to me. So this is a different church than the one that gave me the Bible. Mm. Um, and in that church, the way that God was portrayed to me was more through the lens of you know, the more apocalyptic, futurist, eschatological end time stuff, um, and uh, a fear of hell, um, mm. where later on in retrospect I look at it and, and realize that my theology or the theology that was given to me uh, was that Jesus came to save me from God because God was the one in my head who would have sent me to hell, Wow! you know, if it wasn't... Uh, for, for Jesus and reminds me of that meme of Jesus knocking okay. on the door and and and, and asking who doesn't Jesus and why do you want me to come in and said to save you from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me me so it's it's that kind of uh, I think scenario that was later on uh, but then it was through you know Bible college and um, studies there that helped me to rethink things so it was really yeah. kind of up and down. Um, yeah, and I'd love to come back to like your journey mm. into orthodoxy and mm-hmm. um, that's a whole uh, other thing the too. Ancient alternatives yeah. to what you've just set up in yeah. terms of the that's a whole other thing. And and I'll I'll say this is this is like a confession. Uh, we're talking about the Bible, but um, even though my entry point was great, the the ebb and flow, the up and down of it, 
um, the confusion that's all mixed in into my experience has meant that realistically, although I've tried a few times, um, I really haven't read the Bible for probably about nine or ten years. Hmm. But you you pray scripture daily, right? I do. Yeah. So it's in the liturgy, it's in, you know, going to Vespers, Matins and all hmm. that. Um, Which is, is fascinating as well yeah. in terms of assumptions of what to do with the Bible. And mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's, that's my detox. Is I feel like I need to go through that hmm. for a number of years before I can finally read the Bible on my own and um, not even see it fresh, but see it through... Uh, you know the experience of uh, worshiping community. Yeah. That, um, you know, has that two thousand years of pedigree of experiencing so much that I haven't because I can't because I'm only you know thirty six and and I'm not two thousand. But the church can experience <laughs> all of all of this and and contend with so much and be yeah. able to uh, select important scriptures within certain contexts knowing that it it helps at certain points and that's that's how they're incorporated into yes. all of these services and, and the divine liturgy and so on so so i need to kind of go through that for for a number of years yeah um but it, it sounds like there's even leftover evangelical guilt that oh, i'm just praying scripture and you know mm being mm-hmm. formed in it and encountering God through it mm-hmm. I'm not really all? studying it yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I should definitely. just be reading it in a hyper rational way where I'm yeah, learning arguments uh, otherwise is. it's not really yep. yeah. be a yeah. good scholastic it's man. true though it's true <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually you know sat down with my <laughs> devotional book and my bible and you know and and go through my one you know passage that my devotional book tells mm-hmm. me to go through <laughs> and, and, and you do you feel like yeah. that's what you should be doing every day I still feel it but at the same time, even just any reading of scripture, I'll, I'll read. I'll read it if I need to. Like I have a, <laughs> I have a topic that I'm, you know, I want to write on or something like that. Then I'll, I'll be like, well, I guess I've got to read these verses that relate to <laughs> the topic. Yeah. I'm, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of. But I mean, every Sunday in terms of like being in worship by Chrysostom, yeah, like and and (laughs) saturated. And we have we have have an epistle reading, we have a gospel reading every every Sunday, and then homily on it, and ten psalms. I mean, ten psalms. Ten psalms is is more than I remember. In reality, I probably am getting more scripture now than than before. Even Orthodox, true. Be read. My experience is similar to. To Andrews, it was compacted very quickly. That the way I would put it is that when I when I turned deliberately towards Christ I, in, in baptism, I I got a voracious hunger mm. for Scripture that was satisfied in Scripture, mm. and in that sense, it was very satisfying, and 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 it both generated appetite and sated it in a beautiful kind of rhythm. However, within a year. In addition to my dad's quite positive lens, we were also hearing um, the apocalyptic Mm -hmm. dispensational end time stuff that Andrew was subjected to. And Um, I'm aware some people listening, those terms kind of just bring to mind (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger, bad Mm -hmm. movies. 
Um, left behind. Pretty much. Left behind. Yeah, right. But in my case, it was also exciting because even though I think toxic, but it was we were we were right during the Yom Kippur War, mm -hmm. and so the Israeli tanks had crossed the Red Sea. I'm crossed the uh, Nile River. Sorry. And they were within 60 miles of Cairo. And I'm thinking, this means Jesus is coming next week. And so because we believe that the sinner's prayer kind of secured your in, um, I, I was happy about this because I was, wow. was going to be raptured mm -hmm. and I was going to meet Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I, I, um, how did I know I wouldn't be left behind? Because I said the sinner's prayer. And, and Brad, I find this fascinating. When we've just been talking about your, your sweet loving warm experience yeah. of coming to scripture and um all this jesusy stuff seen mm -hmm. through your dad's eyes mm -hmm. and here are you as a kid of how old eight years old eight years old and you're kind of cheering on a war within a year yeah because of the because of the um the, the traveling the yes the eschatology of the traveling revivalists there was a, wow. a, kind of a prairie revival going on in canada at the time too and one of the features was this apocalyptic preaching so that didn't come in through my family or initially but like i say just like with part of it is we moved from one church to another during mm. that year and and we landed right when this was the hot thing to preach on and here i am a boy with a a new tool with mm -hmm. his open Bible and a hunger to read it. And then they're showing me, you know, Armageddon. And I'm I, at the time I knew, I knew the names of the Israeli and Egyptian prime ministers. I knew the defense minister of, wow. of Israel by, you know, all this stuff. I was, I was on it and uh, checking out how Lindsay, the late great planet earth. I'm thinking would, of me at eight years old and I knew the name of the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, well, and, uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's, so in retrospect, that was very toxic, but I, yeah. I, I didn't experience it as, 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 what was the word you used? The opposite of liberating? Oppressive. Oppressive. I didn't experience it as oppressive, except when I thought about my relatives who didn't know Jesus. Huh. And to, that tore my heart out because I, I was another toxic element of that would be bibliolatry. You know, I had put the Bible that this Bible I loved on such a high pedestal. Now that if it says my loved ones are going to burn in hell forever, which is how we interpreted it. Um, I believed it. And you can imagine what that would do to a sensitive boy who yeah. truly believes your most beloved relatives are, are, are doomed and feeling like the call to evangelize them and yet powerless to, to really convert them that that part was also that was not liberating wow that was a torment because for those who haven't seen the simpsons left below episode where mm, the best man, ever like, i mean it's so good isn't it like and it's such a it's like for, for aussies who don't have the same kind of biblical literacy unless you've grown up in a, a strange christian quarter mm. where you experience this kind of stuff in australia it's very hard to even understand the whole package but the the package is that in terms of where all the history is going mm -hmm. that instead of it looking like something we see in jesus and something that sounds like what jesus talked about it is this kind of we've got to make sure history turns out right and that prophecies are fulfilled so our politics we vote with whatever's going to 
like um, induce war, induce war, <laughs> yep. to to make sure Expedite that the second coming. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. somehow God's sovereignty, yeah. um, seen most clearly on the cross, <laughs> isn't enough. That suffering love isn't enough in mm-hmm. history to make history turn out okay. Right, and peacemaking is just feeding into the whole agenda of the Antichrist. So you're mm-hmm. actually against peacemaking mm-hmm. at that level. So now that you're both a part of ancient orthodoxy, mm-hmm. how would have you during your teenage years seen you now? <laughs> Why uh, are you well, laughing at no, you? I, I, uh, <laughs> no, I... I uh, my, my family background, um, like the... You know, your, your relatives... Um, you know, feeling that that uh, sense of you know uh, terror. Yeah, yeah. That just that, that they're gonna that they're going to hell and all that kind of stuff. I felt that too, and and it was more because of my family background and how it actually connects into this whole apocalyptic thing. So my family background is Protestant and Catholic. Hmm. So one half, uh, my dad's side is all Protestant, and uh, Plymouth Brethren very conservative fundamentalist uh, closed brethren mostly um and then on my mom's side uh they're all catholic and and so um within that of course you have and and my mom was very um uh you know very anti-catholic she became uh well she left the catholic church when she was i think 17 and um and so I, I grew up in a very anti-Catholic home. So anything that would look like Catholicism, I would be very much against. But wow. but it all it all ties in in terms of you know the Pope is the Antichrist and mm-hmm. all. So so Chick it, it's all exactly. Oh my goodness, yeah, those. So terrifying. I've learned about yeah. <laughs> comments through our friend in common BZ, oh. and and BZ has. Um, <laughs> Shared his trauma of these faceless, huh. like propaganda tracks that were handed out. Yeah. That basically, God's going to get you, yeah. and the Catholics are the Antichrist. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and so a... I remember uh, being at my grandpa's uh, funeral, and and again thinking he's in hell, and mm. and it was one of my Catholic aunts who had to console me and say, "No, he's not. He's fine." All that kind of stuff. So it, but it's all, it's, it's a very, um, us versus them kind of, you know, closing anybody out, out, closing out anybody who's not like us. And I think that that's like where you can get that kind of like, uh, soft kind of, um, you know, uh, your, your, um, like a, a, a positive experience for you and for me is more because I'm in though, like I'm in the yes, in group, right? Exactly. So, so of course it's going to be positive. He will never leave you or exactly. forsake you. Yes, it's and just exactly. all your friends. So, yes, yeah. and so <laughs> so you do you feel good about yourself and 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 all that, and it makes sense that they that the people who are subjecting me to that can can you know project that to me the, mm-hmm. the more positive. Um, uh, elements and then also think these you know this horrible stuff is going to happen to people who aren't like us in the whole apocalyptic or eschatological timeline mm. um so 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 given that kind of um toxic theology mm-hmm. and i'm very aware like in terms of um the people who'll be tuning in to this um uh, some of them um 
are just fascinated by us God botherers and um, listening in. That doesn't sound like something you'd want to stick around with. You mm-hmm. like? Um, well, it's good news if you think it's true and you've got a way out. In other words, if if you truly believe that we are part of that the human race is in a bu- in a bus that's on fire and and is going to explode and Jesus opens a door and says you can come out of there you can be rescued from this that is sort of like what we believe now about the earth in a sense like in 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 that um People are already experiencing hell existentially yeah. here. But if you like magnify that to billions of years of an afterlife torment and, and, and then Jesus says, I've opened the door. I've done everything necessary for you to jump out. Then it sounds reasonable. It's like, and I've jumped out and we should let other people know they can jump out because they, nobody has to stay on the bus, you know? So this yeah. really drives your evangelism. I'm trying to spin it in a almost yeah, a positive and, way. And it, and it fits with so many forms of Gnosticism found around the world where mm-hmm. it's a escapist picture of um, uh, one of the ways of dealing with the pain of being alive yeah. is getting out yeah. and so your body is bad, the earth is bad and here's a way out and Jesus is a way out mm-hmm. um, in yeah. response to that I mean I'm very aware that you're both very involved in like uh, justice work and in peace work um, and yet you haven't left faith and you haven't stopped praying scripture, even if you're not studying <laughs> yeah, it like you. Yeah. So um, what's the journey in between? How, how did you go from that to what you guys are doing now that this sacred text is still so important to you, mm-hmm. but in ways that look completely different to where you were previously? Mm-hmm. Connect, connect the dots for me. Um, mine is more, uh, again, at, at uh, Bible College. Uh, it was a Mennonite Bible College, and so you have... So these are the Peace Church Yeah, parts. so you, yep. you've got them, and, and even though I would say there's kind of just the typical conservative evangelical elements, currents in there, these are still professors who have thought through things well, and, and, um, and they they drew me to first 16th century Anabaptism. Mm. And so I studied that for uh, a long time. And um, also the Church Fathers at the same time. So I was kind of doing both at the same time. But it's really through... Yeah. Talk to me about who are these, like what's the social location of both those groups and what do they share in common that people mm. might not be aware of? Um, what do they share in common? So uh, the the reason why... Well, I'll just say like... The, I was doing both of them at the same time because I wanted this kind of breadth of Christian history, so I, I didn't want to really focus on one or the other. Um, but in terms of the Church Fathers and Anabaptism, I think one of the, the big things that really initially, in both of them, uh, that were it was a great help to me, was um, transcending that faith and works dichotomy hmm. um, where you have that juridical kind of legal status, uh, more forensic, um, status before God, um, based on either faith alone or through works to appease God. Mm. And, and so I saw in the fathers and 16th century Anabaptism, this ability to transcend that, um, where the focus was more on, 
ontology, your essence, your being transformation. Mm. Um, and so good works isn't something that you're trying to do in a contrived kind of forced way um, in order to appease God or anything like that, or just to be a good person. Um, but it, it's it's behavior that is a natural or supernatural intuitive outcome of your transformation. Um, and and so it's not salvation as an in or out kind yes. of, you know, faith alone or not, or doing good works or not, or doing bad works or whatever. So you're, you're in or out, but instead it has that very um, gradual kind of transformation mm. element to it that just clicked with me. It resonated. So to, to go back to little Andrew with his yes. picture book Bible, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, he, he was able to hear not on one side, if I do the right thing, then God will love me. Yeah. Or on the other side, if if I say or believe the God right thing, yeah. then God will accept me and, and love me, at, at which either time, makes us a legalist yeah. or God a legalist, yes. right? And at, that, at that time, I am really like, I, I'm still caught in that world. And I'm caught in that world because of, again, my family background. I've got sure. the Protestant and Catholic, right? Yeah. And so that issue comes up a lot. And, and just being human in the societies that we've mm-hmm. grown up in and our need for acceptance mm-hmm. and belonging and to be loved mm-hmm. and... Um, it's easy to project that onto mm-hmm. religion, spirituality. Yeah. But but the connection with what we were talking about before, why it's so good for, for us within that apocalyptic timeline is because the, the what's attractive about it is because it, it's the confidence that you're on the certainty on the, it, it's it, that you're on the good side yep. right yep. and so within that it's that inner out thing again, the mm-hmm. faith and works and and all that kind of stuff whereas I was noticing <laughs> that my life is a lot more complex than that. Yeah. Um, that that I'm somewhere in the middle. I've got the impulses of good and bad in me, and it's not as clear cut as that. Um, and and so that more transformative understanding really came through to me. So you see that with the fathers and theosis, mm. uh, a deification um, kind of element, and then you see it in Anabaptism. Surprisingly. Probably people don't really understand that, but or know about it. But in Intensive Anabaptism, you have until right now. So this, yeah. this, you have this this uh, element of forgotten the the uh, mm-hmm. divinization that you see in um, South German Anabaptism, Hans Dank and, mm-hmm. and others like him, and then Dutch uh, Anabaptism with especially Dirk Phillips, Obi Phillips mm-hmm. as well, um, and a little Menno Simons as well. But even Dirk Phillips, he talks about um, in in uh, is it second Second Peter. One for mm-hmm. uh, partaking of the divine nature. Yes. Um, he talks about that verse as divinization, that this is salvation. Salvation really? is, a, is a becoming, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's because they were reading the right? church fathers, like yeah. that was actually part yeah. of their training. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah it's fascinating. And, and to break that down, <laughs> it's, a, it's a picture of what Christian life is that instead of the in and out, mm-hmm. either God let me in because mm-hmm. he's a legalist and I said the right thing or I did the right thing or I worked my way in by doing the right things or saying the right things that it's actually um, it's it's a picture of like salvation is healing mm-hmm. yes. salvation is like it's a thera- um, therapeutic uh, healing ontological transformative um, process that is gradual there's no in or out and even in the fathers you have that that uh, element of apectasis, mm. um, which is uh, a, a transfiguration that is infinite to the extent that God is infinite, which means that it's also posthumous. That this is the, the, the journey beginning. continues. It continues yeah. on 
for infinity to the extent mm. that God is infinite. And this is just the beginning point of uh, a life of repentance. This is our, our, our opportunity to begin that life of mm. repentance that will continue on. And how in orthodoxy, repentance is actually connected with joy mm-hmm. as well. That mm-hmm. there's that sense mm-hmm. that um, uh, this is actually becoming who we truly are. Mm-hmm. The journey to being human is actually... Homecoming. Uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, becoming who we always were. Mm-hmm. And there's a gentle apocalypse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grace gently mm-hmm. shows up and lets mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as we will allow in. Yeah. And that's a very different journey than uh, the kind of left behind mm-hmm. barracking for one side of a war in the Middle East. And mm-hmm. um, the both the certainty disappears, which mm-hmm. can be terrifying for mm-hmm. people, um, uh, but also the clear in and out and all you're left with is grace and you have mm-hmm. to decide (laughs) with the apostle paul can you say is it sufficient or not Mm -hmm. because he says it's sufficient which isn't as generous as we sometimes hear it it's sufficient it's like it's enough yeah yeah yeah. it's it's, (laughs) for for you brad like because you're a pastor in the vineyard movement for years right Uh, ish (laughs) so there's four uh yeah i have four stages i'll go through quickly 20 Mm. years with the baptists who gave me a love for scripture and for sharing the good news of jesus as best we understood it Mm. then i served with the mennonites for 10 years and what i noticed during that 10 years was that the preaching was far more gospel centered far more yeah you can see the pattern over a decade and uh we had really been more in paul in in the baptist church we're very pauline Pauline justification by faith stuff. So you read Jesus <clears throat> through Paul's totally, gear. yeah. In fact, you there's a subtle way of negating Jesus through Paul's here. Hang on, say more about that. What, what, Ephesians two eight nine. You know, it, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Well, then, what what do you do with the Sermon on the Mount? Um, Ephesians two ten. Ephesians, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, don't, don't, don't don't complicate it. But yeah, there was this. Words, that were, yeah, predestined yes. for us to do. Absolutely, okay, sorry. that no, is no, what you do to, with yeah. it. That is what you do with it, and and probably lots of Baptists do too. Mm. But there, yeah, there's a way of negating this, and and so with the Mennonites, we spent way more time in the Sermon on the Mount, mm. way more time on Jesus, and his call to peace. Um, and, and so it was the call to peace that would often get negated to be right. right uh, cause we needed our just war theories and so on. Huh. But the Mennonites that I was with were really quite faithful of the peace church. And, um, oddly I didn't, they couldn't convince me. They tried to convince me. They couldn't convince me, but it was the third time when I was watching apocalypse. Now there's a scene where there's a massacre on a fishing boat and the good guys kill all the innocents. So they're not good guys after all. Mm. And while I'm watching, something clicked in my head. And in a moment, everything that these Anabaptists had tried to share about the peace, the way of peace of Jesus completely made sense to me. It was, wow. So it was, it, was at a, it was a gestalt shift. Those moments are fascinating. I've got to make John Jensen, and yeah. it was the um, uh, South Park movie. Mm-hmm. That he had a revelation from God. <laughs> It'll happen when he saw Gandhi in hell with yeah. Hitler mm-hmm. and Saddam Hussein, yeah. Yeah. and he realized in that moment the gospel that I'm preaching mm-hmm. 
doesn't make sense to who we see God to be in Jesus. Yeah. And it undi- he didn't know what else there was, but yeah. he was like, hang on, my easy formulas don't make sense of, mm-hmm. I either have to choose Jesus or my yeah. formulas about the gospel because they're not going to yeah. work together. And so Apocalypse Now was your... That, that was a big part, but also at the same time when I was with the Mennonites, we, I was doing a lot of youth work and especially learning about inner healing. Mm. Incredibly with like people who'd been through radical... Um, sexual assault, molestation, all of that. And we learned how, how to minister uh, the life of Christ in that. And I just saw something very consistent about how Christ would come to these folks. It was always, always gentle. And, wow. and, and I began to see through the Mennonite grid or the Anabaptist grid and my experience in inner healing, the, a nonviolent God. Wow. Um, but because, because we were practicing listening to God so much, it, we also felt, um, a call then to practice uh, what I'll share later from Isaiah 58, just mm. uh, to go plant a church. And uh, so we used Isaiah 58 as the foundations for that. So this was sort of stage three. And what happened was we had all these folks come who were from the margins. Uh, one third of the church are people with disabilities in full-time care. Wow. Uh, this then welcomed families with children who were too disruptive <laughs> to to be in other churches and but they felt at home in ours because their kids weren't the loudest people in the room yeah and then this made the addicts feel at home yeah so we had a, a a phase where there was a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts in recovery showing up 12-step program stuff which also teaches a god who is only loving caring and forgiving yeah and then out of that we also had uh the poor of various kinds and so sometimes the working poor but sometimes the homeless and so on so you're watching you're watching this and for, so for for 10 years as i'm watching this my theology starts shifting wow one of the things was i could no longer see uh in scripture or in practice anything to do with Christ needing to die to appease the wrath of an angry God, yeah. that that as an atonement theory had been played off as a, as the gospel itself in, in my younger years. And it's not the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospel. Amen. And um, Jesus is the gospel. And Amen. the thing, you know, so as that's unraveling for me, and also this idea of eternal conscious torment, you know, when I would speak up about it, you, you get fired at from the evangelical world, especially right. as a heretic and a liberal. And it was, I was living the logical song, you know, by super trap, they'll call you a radical, um, <laughs> liberal, fanatical, a criminal. Um, but it's at that point when I met Archbishop Lazar Pahalo, who's a, a abbot of the Orthodox monastery. And we started working on a magazine that actually, uh, Clager and I now work on Clarion, mm. which we'll have you write for frequently. I hope, um, but, but in those early days, we were like collating hard copies of this and, and I would just be talking about how these doctrines were coming apart on me because they yeah. are founded on retribution in the, in the nature of God. And yeah. Lazar made a, another one of these click moments for me. He said, so what you are, what you, you think is, and I wrote on this in my MA thesis is that, is that, uh, God could not freely forgive in order for God to forgive, he first had to have his wrath appeased through a child sacrifice. And if you don't accept that, you are sent through the flames, hmm. into the flames. He said, I see your problem. You worship Molech, not Yahweh. 
Wow. And I'm like, that was actually liberating. I yeah. didn't feel, I didn't feel defensive at all. I'm like, this is the problem. And, um, and he, I said, you mean I don't have to believe that with the Orthodox? He's like, you must not believe that with the Orthodox. <laughs> it's I'm like, yeah. so you guys, so you believe in something else? And he starts teaching me about this therapeutic approach that, that Andrew's talking about. Which is such a dirty word in so many. So, yeah. oh, therapeutics, you've sold out the gospel for a therapeutic. Mm. But yeah. you, you mean it in the medical, I, yeah. a medical sense, where the church is a hospital, yep. yeah. not a court of law. And the gospel is about healing you, um, that, that we're healed of our sins. Yes. And, yeah. So I, this is... I'm reminded of Gandhi um, when he, he said... Uh, the problem of Christians is um, they want the removal of punishment from their sins, and they see that as salvation, mm -hmm. while I am seeking to be saved from sin itself. This is exactly this is, what George yeah. MacDonald said. In yeah, fact, they yeah. probably knew. C.S. Lewis's yeah. mentor and hero. Yeah, yeah. To be to, to be cleansed of, uh, of of the disease. This it's a fatal disease, mm. and and that the blood of Christ cleanses us. And so sometimes, I, I, even recently, it's like been told well that's wishy-washy i'm like there is nothing wishy-washy about mm. jesus dying for you mm. there's nothing wishy-washy about radical forgiveness when you've been offended uh even uh, you know so uh, no but i think people are because the theories of gospel explanation like um we're, we're sitting 18 stories up in vancouver <laughs> in a hotel because i've been speaking at a, a conference here mm -hmm. and one of the workshops we did was um the difference between our summations of the gospel versus what the apostles yep. preached mm -hmm. in the book of Acts. Yep. And that's what we broke down for people. Like you're on a train, you've got to their next stop. They ask you what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. You try and share. Um, no one said what they would share is their phone number and an invitation to dinner. Interesting. <laughs> <Isn't that>? Wow. <laughs> Zing. Everybody tried to like get a theory out. But right. the things that, um, we think our nice, neat summations that we don't realize run through those trinity of Billies from North America, mm -hmm. Billy Sunday, Billy Bright, and Billy Graham, mm -hmm. turning um, the proclamation into this product to, to be consumed, mm -hmm. um, uh, isn't ancient Christianity. And if orthodoxy is anything, it's <laughs> consistent, right? Like, yeah. you can't make stuff up. And um, this is how the early church read the scriptures through the early church fathers mm -hmm. into... And so orthodoxy can't mess with what's there. Yeah. And they're claiming that, no, Christianity is about the healing of the soul and all of creation, mm -hmm. not about the appeasing of an angry deity who needs mm -hmm. to take it out on someone because apparently God hasn't invited Jesus into his heart right, and right. experienced transformation. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And for me, uh, it came, it came to a point where I did have to step into the Orthodox church because that theology wasn't enough for me. I needed to experience mm -hmm. it. And in my case, I went through a pretty bad crash in 2008 as a result of Messiah complex around mm -hmm. all these folks on the margins. And I was going to be Jesus to them. And when, when stuff for them started unraveling, my attachment to them caused me to unravel. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I, I need the therapy of the liturgy. And yeah. so that may not be everyone's cup of tea, but for me it has been, I, I, I needed it for my healing. I needed yeah. to be carried 
I needed to be carried out of revivalism for one, you know, yeah. and into something where every week I know I can go forward and receive the body and blood of Christ, the fountain of immortality yeah. for the healing of my soul. And it's working. Wow. So for me, that's, that's why I, I, I ended up needing to go that the route of actually yeah. stepping into that world. And it's a very different vision of the spiritual life, isn't it? Like one, um, bringing someone back to life, mm -hmm. revivalism, versus someone becoming more fully alive. Yeah. Like it's... Um, becoming more human. Becoming more human. Well, what would you both offer before um, you choose a passage and uh, <laughs> help us read it in ways that do turn the world upside down? What, what would you offer from your own experience to people who uh, are watching and listening and um, what gift from your journey out of your various evangelicalisms um, and uh, charismatic and there were four stages that I've um, finally orthodox a bit was the one that I missed. Yeah, the oh, third the one was the Mennonite, Mennonite and, yep. and Fresh Wind was with the people on the margins, but yes. it was also fully charismatic yeah. in, in that sense, yeah. Um, out of your experiences, what gift would you give to others to, to read the Bible in, in liberating ways or maybe to use the language that we've been using, healing ways? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of reading the Bible, um, I, I find that there's a almost kind of disjointed, I, I wondered when, when you were talking about the Pauline, so it's, it's very, you know, compartmentalized in yeah. that sense. So you have the Pauline and I wondered if that was a result of, uh, or an outcome of dispensationalism. Is like, is that, was so. that your experience that Jesus was more kind of connected through, uh, St. John the Baptist to the kind of more Old Testament, but also what he's saying is is a future reality. Right. We'd we use have... Jesus to affirm the book of Revelation yes. in a sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and... um, uh, Scott McKnight jokes that um, poor Jesus, um, he he lived, uh, you know, his life before mm -hmm. his crucifixion, so he never got to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is just like a such a brilliant way of showing the ridiculousness yeah. of like yeah. thinking that the gospel is something yeah. other than, right. than Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So with reading the Bible, I, I instead of having this very disjointed kind of um, way of compartmentalizing like that, but also Old Testament, New Testament, and um, I I tend to focus more on um, what I call the the incremental self revelation of God. Hmm that's expressed as his divinity and humanity or transfiguration and kenosis or self-emptying. Mm. Wow. And, and you see it through the whole scriptures where, you know, you start with, uh, you know, the, the fall of humanity um, and at the beginning uh, partaking of, of the tree uh, wrongly and within that becoming afraid and hiding from God mm. uh, and being confused within that of, you know, who God is. It, it's, it's a theological explanation of where we're at as human beings when God finally um, uh, approached us and, and, and came into our situation, not just at the incarnation, but beforehand talking to Abraham, mm. um, for example, taking somebody who is... Uh, you know, he's, by all accounts, a polygamist, polytheist, has his own, you know, legal code, tribal legal code that he's accustomed to. And God 
comes into that situation and begins to adapt who he is to what they're familiar with mm. um, because they don't know who God is, which is, again, exhibited in the fear of humanity, the fear of God um, mm. you know, that you see at the beginning, the confusion about who God is. So, so you have, for example, uh, instead of a village for an eye, you have just an eye for an eye. Um, you're you're mm. kind of there's a trajectory now, where God is incrementally revealing who He is, but can't just do it like you know instantly or because we're all child sacrifice, yeah, uh, animal sacrifice. Sure. Or, mm. yeah. So so you have this this sense that um, He is of course the Creator who created the created order. That created order has the constraints of time and space that we all contend with, and so. You can't just download everything instantly. There's there's a process to it, um, and and so because of that, you have that ebb and flow throughout the Old Testament, the cycle of apostasy, and um, and then you have the prophets, and you know they're getting a little closer, and um, and then you you have finally, of course, the full revelation of God um, in Christ, uh, who is you know the image of the invisible God, and who says, "When you see me, you see the Father." And, and so there's, there's this sense that, uh, and I'll talk about the transfiguration later, but, um, right. there's the sense of, of, of the, of the transfigured one, the, the unapproachable light, um, the, the, uh, the essence of, of God, uh, breaking into time and space as God's energies, God's operations, um, and, and being down here with us, um, in that canonic maneuver of self-emptying, uh, and and so there's this sense throughout the scriptures of what does it look like when the uncreated, decontextualized divine love that is uh, active in in the oscillating mutual love of the three persons of the Trinity mm. is brought down into the time or or the constraints to, uh, of the created order of time and space where it becomes uh, adapted as mercy and as compassion and as forgiveness, which doesn't make sense in the uncreated realm because there's nothing to have mercy on or forgive or have compassion on. It mm. makes sense within the created order, and that's the canonic maneuver of self-emptying. And, and so that seems to be what's happening when you look at the entire scriptures, uh, you know, culminating in the conception and, and incarnation of, mm. of Christ and death, resurrection, and ascension uh, and beyond um, that we're all called to participate in, of course, culminating in our own resurrection and, mm. and transfiguration. So um, that's, that's for me, it's, it's been a helpful way of looking at the Bible, even, even questions around violence in the Old Testament and know why is that there and and that sort of thing knowing that these are human beings who are writing about god before the full revelation of god in the incarnation um which is shown to be the case because of the fall of humanity and, yeah. and the hiding from god and not knowing who he is getting him wrong essentially um these are the people who are are writing about god 
Um, but within that whole context, also seeing that we are microcosms of the Old Testament, that this is also an image of yeah, who we that's are, incredible. where yeah. there's there's this incremental self-revelation of God in us as well. And that yes. ties back to, of course, the understanding of salvation as something that is transformative, is medical, and is theosis. Um, that's, that's what's happening in the entire scriptures is also what's happening in, in each one of us. Which is incredible, isn't it? And I think one of the most liberating things in in my life was actually realizing and starting to discern some of the things I've been asked to crucify mm. in myself in some mm-hmm. church settings is actually resurrection at work. Mm. And learning to recognize Christ's face in those parts of ourself and not mm-hmm. crucify him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but actually um be able to, to celebrate and be attentive to the the microcosm within. I, I thought that was so brilliantly put. No pressure or anything, Brad. <laughs> yeah, mine won't be brilliant. <clears throat> um but hopefully it'll be a, a gift. And that is something that both Andrew and I have discovered is the is the incredible value of praying the scriptures. Wow. And so um, I've experimented on this for 15 years, um, both Western and Eastern traditions. So Mm. the Spanish mystics gave us the gift, a couple of them. One would be uh, Lectio Divina, is Mm. an approach to praying the scriptures contemplatively so that we are hearing God's voice through them to us. And another would be the Ignatian exercises where yeah. you enter the text with all five senses. Yes. And uh, um, my, my my Orthodox brothers are more suspicious of that. Although I, oh, really? I, I would, because because we know that uh, the imagination can also um, lead you to delusions. Right. On the other hand, I'm hopeful that theosis works on the imagination, imagination as, as well. well. Yeah. Especially in, in the confines of or the parameters of, let's say, the gospel readings. So Ignatius would have you step into the text, understanding you are present or a character there. Mm. And you would would listen and watch and smell and taste and touch. And he had had, uh, the Society of Jesus, they were called, because they would read all four gospels every week. And not just read them, but experience them in, in that kind of prayerful, contemplative way where you're deliberately attempting to undergo the text yes instead of standing over it with a a scalpel doing vivisection like the scholastics Um, but also you know in the eastern church then um, they they do make a good point about this and that is you can take flights of fancy that will 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 just corner you into bad spots but Mm. here we again have the scriptures and especially the words of jesus as quality control so what I'm trying to do when I'm reading the Gospels is I'm, I'm noticing the Jesus of the Gospels in the text and my experience of the Jesus I know in my heart, and, mm. I, and I'm noticing where they're not aligned. Wow, Sometimes, I've never heard it expressed like yeah, that. That's amazing. Well, think about um, they may not be aligned because my hermeneutic of the Scripture is bad hmm. and that the Jesus I experience is much kinder than the hermeneutic I had for these Gospels was working. But also... Sometimes uh, the Jesus in my heart is more a projection of myself on a good day, like Prozac Brad or something. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the Jesus of the Gospels calls that to account. So right. I am constant, and I love to do this because I, 
because I know the Jesus of the Gospels. I yeah. know the Jesus in my heart. And, and and when they bump up against each other, it's another chance to undergo the text in a, in a prayerful way. Yeah. Um, I, might, I might cut this out, but yeah. I'll share this with you both. My experience of, um, of Jesus is always really funny. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I find myself laughing, um, and it was actually working with uh, my clinical psychologist and uh, him inviting uh, me to do those exercises. And mm-hmm. it was an observation he made that you're always laughing when I invite you to to spend time with and I didn't even realize it at the time at all mm-hmm. but um I I found myself going well you know Jesus wasn't really known for his one-liners was he like it's a, but returning uh to the gospels and actually going actually half of this stuff is really hilarious mm-hmm. um how have we made Jesus yeah and you and you need him to come to you that way because mm-hmm. because you're an activist and and you've seen you've seen the ugliest parts of humanity and it, mm-hmm. and and that can become a an abyss yes and so for for him to come and he sees it all too and yet he was filled with joy above all his brethren yeah so i get it yeah no that's <laughs> yeah. wonderful and so we don't want you to just have the angry red eyes after 20 years we need you in this for the long haul yeah and that's going to require massive infusions of joy yeah i think and if i could add one other thing about this praying the scriptures then is what you know um i'm noticing that the the church has helped us to do that so for example i was thinking when andrew was talking about how you know how does god come to a barbarian think conan the barbarian (laughs) and he's like oh you know how will i do this self-revelation and apparently God is so brilliant at this that he takes a barbarian like David. Think David as Conan. And he's got David praying, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He doesn't treat it as our sins desert. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is working. Wow. It's really working. So I've been praying five psalms a day. Huh. Um, I don't know how long I'll do that. But what I'm noticing in them is some of them, David is utterly despairing other like his lament is is heartrending other times he's vicious mm. and 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 other times totally self-righteous like hey if i had done anything wrong i'd understand why i'm undergoing these problems <laughs> but i'm and and i pray that pray whatever he's praying there because what i hold it up as a mirror then yeah as andrew said a microcosm of me and that and what it does is Nice Christian Brad saying, I would never pray that my enemy's children would bang their heads on the stones, except for I'm seeing somebody's face. Wow. So it's so suddenly it's on the table. And now I have to make a choice. Will I cling to this and experience the torment of my unforgiveness and actually approach the Eucharist as Judas and give the chalice a kiss, Judas kiss? Mm. Or will I, having seen David in me, his his despair and despondency or his his rage and his call for vengeance or his pride and his self righteousness will will I let that go and receive the grace and have Christ wash the malice from my heart mm. and and I'm getting a lot of mileage out of praying those psalms right now. And instead of being offended by how could God say this or how could mm-hmm. it's like 
uh, how, how on earth did all of this stuff get in me? Yeah. And thank you, God, that you've you've actually given a th- a, ther- a therapy for getting it out of me. Yes. To heal me, not just of the punishment for my sins, but of the the sin itself. Yes. And I'll, I'll add to like with David and you, mm-hmm. the the self revelation of God is really a pastoral maneuver. Like it's God being a pastor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, what I've called an economic, like the economia that He's adapting something that could otherwise be rigid to a particular situation, to the person right in front of him. Same thing when we're being pastoral in that sense. The person right in front of of you in that moment, in that particular context, you're giving uh, a different word, you're acting differently for that particular Mm -hmm. person than you would somebody else. And so funny Jesus for yes exactly that that's all and and that's that's like um, knowledge being transformed into wisdom wisdom mm-hmm. is that ability to be agile flexible within um, all of these different contexts and bring you and David and me and Jared to repentance to have that um, that metanoia that transformation that change but repentance requires you to understand and be attentive to the reality that these psalms that you're praying um these are your words as well these this is somebody and words that are in you as well experiences that are in you as well and you can't repent unless you're attentive to that Mm. um so that that past pastoral encounter um with god requires you to be of course honest with yourself um and to focus on your own um you know your own sin rather than that of others and today is it's the sunday of of the uh, publican and the pharisee yeah and and so it's that that uh, ability to hopefully not say <laughs> thank I, you I, god thank that i'm, I'm not thankful like that i'm not like the baptist i used blank, to hang right? out with exactly. or the yeah. brethren that yeah. i used to exactly. be or the yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you that i'm now amongst orthodoxy yeah. where they all gave us gifts that we still when mm-hmm. when i packed my bags i really did pack them yeah. There's, mm-hmm. You know, that's a Brian Zahn mm-hmm. analogy, right? <laughs> yeah. Where it's like I've care I I have carried some very important things that I I'll, I don't intend to leave behind. Yes. So, which um, I mean, it's fascinating that in the West there's so much popularity about conversations between Jungian psychology and Christian spirituality, mm-hmm. as if engaging those parts of ourselves require you know. 20th century psychology but um, yeah. I'm reminded of um, and maybe I'll edit it out if none of us can remember it because of course we want to look impressive on the podcast <laughs> but um, who, who's the orthodox saint that um, talks about that um, within every human heart there is mm. the stars well, and there is are you talking about like every human heart is uh, or the, the dividing line between good and evil is that no what not, no, not, no, not that, but hey that let's go <laughs> runs through every heart yes. no um no. their writings and like i remember reading it mm. um and i think i was first exposed through Callistos Ware, and mm. he, he talks about um that the um the dragon and the abyss are all mm. within us mm. and the, the stars of the universe are all within mm. us mm-hmm. and the yep. um i mean th- this is depth psychology mm-hmm. from, yes uh ancient christianity um and we act like oh this is a 20th century move that we might have conversation the desert fathers of the fourth century and earlier i mean they saw all of this very clearly and i I think jung is kind of 
riffing <laughs> off of that. At some and, level. and he does, and yeah. Jung's actually quite explicit about that at stages in terms of we're like, a complex. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and the the whole thing that the most dangerous hour of the day for the Desert Fathers mm. is noon because you cast no shadow. Mm fascinating mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. the noonday demon despondency yeah. Yeah. when when we can't actually mm-hmm. see the things in us that need transformation mm-hmm. um but what i love that this conversation has brought out that those things are given to us as gifts not just in our past but also in scripture yeah and and how do we engage those parts instead of the marcionites that cut them away and chuck them away and say thank you God that I'm not like those parts of the Bible that mm-hmm. actually are much more like me and need yeah. your transfiguring. <laughs> yeah. That I'm not like the Pharisee, but yeah. me, which is to, to, to so totally miss the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just become one. Yeah. <laughs> and the gifts of pastoring in a church where you have Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. or um, Narcotics Anonymous uh, running out of it is that um, you can't escape grace as the gospel and it has to be practical. Yeah. can't just be a doctrine because otherwise you, you're going to be at a funeral during the week instead yep. of seeing them next week. Hey, this has been awesome, but I'm really keen to have either of you, whoever wants to go first, actually open up um, a passage of scripture and... Um, I'm going to have to use your phone. Show yeah, us. I can, kind of, I can remember. No problem. Stuff, but you go first. Um, I think that Andrew's going to unpack his scripture more than I am. I... For that's my part, go first, yeah, I need the time to... that's good because, um, yeah, for me, I just want to say that I used to read Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 12, among the um, in my first encounters with some charismatics as about, about deliverance in a spiritual sense. But while with the Mennonites, I actually was um, in Haiti uh, visiting what MCC was doing down there, the Mennonite Central Committee, and who do amazing work. They are amazing. Just incredible. Yeah. And I found myself um, standing with one of our hosts in front of guys with machine guns who were intending to kill uh, one of the MCC workers down there. And they had him hogtied. They'd beaten him. And they were. we tried to bribe him free. And they said, no, no, we're going to get drunk and kill him tonight. And I found myself coming back to Isaiah 58. And it's like, this is literally true of that moment. Wow. Later on. Uh, which will make sense in a moment. But uh, later on, then, when we went to plant Fresh Wind Christian Fellowship on this foundation, and we said, God, give us a vision. And uh, I thought he'd give us something you could put on a bumper sticker. And it's like, no, it's Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. So uh, both as a charismatic, a Mennonite, and uh, someone who believes in peace building, this has been uh, foundational for us. And it actually was the, 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 the foundation of, of that church plant. And it directed us in all kinds of ways. So, uh, um, in the spirit of of praying the scriptures, uh, I'd invite listeners to close their eyes and either just listen to the words. And with Lectio, you you wait for a phrase or a word to jump out at you. And, and, And you let that speak to your heart as Jesus. Or if you want to be more Ignatian, you know, picture each of the elements that are being described explicitly here. In your world, what would Isaiah mean in your city or your community? And here it goes. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Jared knows what that's about. 
He's taken that with him to that island he works at. Anywhere he creates trouble. <laughs> Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like a dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Sign me up. <laughs> then your righteousness or justice will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Lord, be our rear guard today. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with pointing fingers and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, if you spend yourselves, not just your money, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Even Australia? <laughs> and will strengthen your frame. Jared, you will be like a well-watered garden. I mean, this is a promise for you today. I hate to get all charismatic on you, but how could this not be? You've been living all the requirements of it. And he says, if you do, this will happen. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Hmm, that's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Bubbling up from inside, or Jesus Christ, the infinite spring. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. Jared, you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to pass it over to my brother here. I'm going to try and do it just from. Do you, do you, do you need to, it? No, I'll. From I'll, Luke? I'll just do it. You're going to show up. No, I'm not going to show up. Oh, He's memorized the New Testament. You know what it is? is it's, it's more, I've got the Gospel of Luke down. It's, it's, it's actually out of insecurity because <laughs> if I have it in front of me, then they're going to expect more from me. Well, so, maybe. Really? <laughs> yes. So, so if I do it, it maybe because be like Brad cheated and just spoke like a healing exactly. prophetic word, and everybody listening is like in tears, like me. Um, maybe before I swing to you, yep. because of my dyslexia, mm. I thought you were going to go Isaiah fifty-three. Mm-hmm. Would you mind just a little? Um, because. I've seen you do things with Isaiah 53 that has been so incredibly... I know I'm putting you on the spot, and uh, if it's still on the spot, that, that's fine, that have just been incredibly helpful for those who can only see it through a punitive substitu- substitutionary atonement instead of um, an expansive, life-giving understanding of what it might read like. Mm. Well, in the real key for uh, for me when I was growing up as an evangelical, totally sold on penal substitutionary atonement, started in verse four. Surely he will look on our. He took up, 
He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, So the way I used to read that was that the punishment that should have been um, uh, imposed on me for my sins was uh, instead imposed on Jesus. So my sin uh, was was laid on Christ and then God punished him for it instead of me. Mm. Penal punishment. The sin couldn't be forgiven. It needed to be punished. And I actually preached that. Mm. And second, that um, he was punished instead of me. So now he died, but I don't have to. Well, is that true? (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, So that's how we typically read it. And, um, then I just read it again, more slowly and carefully. Um, it says, what does it actually say? He took up our pain and bore our suffering. And so now when I think of that, I think of Christ, I think of God in Christ. Mm. Cause Yahweh says mm. in Zechariah 12, you will look on me, the one you've pierced. Yahweh says it. Yeah. So here's Yahweh, um, all the operations of the Godhead in this world are undivided. That's a maxim of orthodoxy. So so God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Second Corinthians 5 says, not counting our sins against us. Yeah. Okay, so now I come back here. I think of he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it as Christ drawing up all the sorrow and pain of the world into himself every bullet that's been fired from every gun that's killed someone every piece of shrapnel from every bomb that's been dropped every sexual assault from the time some caveman dragged a woman in you know out back and, and raped her all of that he he drew up that suffering in himself and he bore it our sins mm. and and even the consequences of those sins. I mean, there's a consequence right there, being tortured to death when you're perfectly righteous, right? Yeah. So he, 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 he takes that up into himself and he swallows it in love. And Simone Weil says that it's that on the cross you see the affliction of God and the goodness of God, in, or the affliction of man and the goodness of God in one person hanging there. And he takes the all the evil and, and the suffering that the evil has caused, the sin and the sorrow, and he and and, and it's like he swallows it in love mm. and recycles it as forgiveness. Uh, mm. BC says it that way. And then it says, but here's what's gonna happen when he does this. Um you will consider him punished by God. But in other words, it's a prophecy of the error of penal substitution. You're going to think God did that to him. Wow. It, 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 it's, it even says, you, you think that's what's going to happen. Uh, but it, but he, he was pierced for our transgressions. It's, 
It's us who put him there. It's our transgressions that put him there. It's not the Father who put him there. It's mm -hmm. uh, when God came in the flesh, we murdered him. That's mm -hmm. Acts, right? Mm -hmm. God sent his son. You murdered him, but God raised him. And so, um, and, and yet because, so in, instead of this being a revelation of the wrath of God, the Father poured out on the Son to appease his need for uh, ret retributive justice, instead what you have here is... Um, God himself experiencing the punishment of our wrath. He undergoes our wrath and then renounces wrath as a solution to it. Yeah. In the very moment when we deserve the vengeance of God for what we did to God, deicide, um, um, that's where he, 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 he turns and says, uh, um, I'm, vengeance is mine, I will repay, but I will repay with forgiveness. Incredible. I will let you go. And... And uh, I just would add one thing that later, uh, sometimes those who are really attached to penal yeah, substitution. Verse 10, right? Yeah. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Um, that's a brutal mistranslation, hmm. uh, I believe, because the Septuagint, which is the Greek mm -hmm. translation of the Old Testament, done by Jews who knew how to translate mm -hmm. before the time of Christ mm -hmm. and becomes the favorite version of the Old Testament that the New Testament quotes. Quotes, that's right, yeah. It it translates the Hebrew this way. It was the Lord's will to heal him. <laughs> wow. That's quite different. That's, yeah, that's... Um... Or sometimes they'll translate, it's the Lord's will to cleanse him of the plague. I mean, it's just like, it's not, it's not this, whatever this is. Yeah. This appears to me to be a projection of theology onto the text and mm. that... Um, that I think we just need to let go of mm. and say, you know, if you need an alternative read there, we have one in the, you know, That's the right. Orthodox church, we use the Septuagint as our old Testament yes. authorized kind of yeah, yeah. translation. So, and when it comes down to question marks about particular texts, mm -hmm. it's usually a good idea to go with Jesus. Yeah. Like since all authorities <laughs> been given to him, Maybe maybe we should default to yeah. the Word of God. Maybe yeah. that's it. And you know, in the New Testament, it doesn't really use Isaiah fifty three as a atonement theory, anyways. Mm. Yeah. Um, it comes up in Matthew as it's an application of a fulfilled in Jesus healing somebody, which is fascinating, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a pity they couldn't read it the right way, <laughs> like, <laughs> or or maybe there's something. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, apart from the fact that you made me cry, that wasn't cool, bro. Serve <laughs> 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 the vengeance of God for what we did to God, deicide. Um, um, that's where he, 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 he turns and says, uh, uh, I'm, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, but I will repay with forgiveness. Incredible. I will let you go. And. And uh, I just would add one thing that later, uh, sometimes those who are really attached to penal yeah, substitution. Verse 10, right? Yeah. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Um, that's a brutal mistranslation, hmm. uh, I believe, because the Septuagint, which is the Greek mm -hmm. translation of the Old Testament, done by Jews who knew how to translate mm -hmm. before the time of Christ mm -hmm. and becomes the favorite version of the Old Testament that the New Testament quotes. Quotes, that's right, yeah. It it translates the Hebrew this way. It was the Lord's will to heal him. <laughs> wow. That's quite different. That's, yeah, that's... Um...
Or sometimes they'll translate, it's the Lord's will to cleanse him of the plague. I mean, it's just like, it's not, it's not this, whatever this is. Yeah. This appears to me to be a projection of theology onto the text that, mm. that, um, that I think we just need to let go of. Mm. And say, you know, if you need an alternative read, there, we have one. And, you know, That's the right. Orthodox Church, we use the Septuagint as our Old Testament yes. authorized kind of yeah, yeah. translation. So, And when it comes down to question marks about particular texts, mm-hmm. it's usually a good idea to go with Jesus. Yeah. Like, since all authorities have <laughs> been given to him... Maybe maybe we should default to yeah. the Word of God. Maybe yeah. that's it. And you know, in the New Testament, it doesn't really use Isaiah fifty three as a atonement theory, anyways. Mm. Yeah. Um, it comes up in Matthew as it's an application of a fulfilled in Jesus healing somebody, which is fascinating, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a pity they couldn't read it the right way, <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or maybe there's something. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, apart from the fact that you made me cry, that wasn't cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.